0: welcome back to another episode of the sweet spot this is john sherman from practical golf and as always i'm joined by adam from adam young golf this episode of the sweet spot is brought to you by the indoor golf shop you can find them at shopindoorgolf.com they carry all the major brands of golf simulators and launch monitors like foresight which adam has Skytrack, which i have other brands like unicorn They can also outfit your home simulator studio with their new premium impact screen, which has been tested and it's amongst the best in the industry. So whatever you're looking for to get nets, mats, all the technology you need, you can get in touch with them and they can help you out with it. So thanks to the Indoor Golf Shop support of the Sweet Spot and you can find them at shopindoorgolf.com. Speaking of which, Adam, despite you and I, We've never actually met in person. Maybe that will surprise some listeners. We actually played our, our first round of golf together last week, didn't we?
1: Yeah, we did. We played two, didn't we?
0: Yeah, we had a nice afternoon. We played Oakmont Country Club, and then we went to TPC Sawgrass. Yeah. So it was uh, flight. It was a pretty yeah. It was a pretty epic afternoon. Of course, this was done remotely over FaceTime and with our simulators, but it was fun nonetheless.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Can you remember, but it wasn't great, was it, the golf? Uh,
0: Well, I mean, to be honest, what I mostly remember is, you know, you were having some hip problems. So you were like pretty much grunting after every swing (laughs) and I'm still getting used to the short game on the simulator. So I was cursing at it when I was chipping it like 30 yards past the hole or or three putting. I think you beat me two up in each match, but I've adjusted some settings on my end that I'm shooting under par lately. So I'm ready for our rematch.
1: Yeah, I think we can count those ones. I won't count those ones against you. Let's just say that one. Okay, but, so um, in, our,
0: in our unofficial league, we're still 0-0.
1: Yeah, the short game takes time to get used to it. It is accurate. And everybody who goes on simulators initially, they say, wow, this short game's so off. But then after a while of, of practicing it and getting it, you know, when it says you've got a 10-yard chip in front of you, I see people make a swing that's clearly 30, 40 yards, and then they yeah, wonder why. It's, <laughs> but It's
0: the depth perception thing like outside of 50 yards i'm fine but once we get like closer and closer like i can't like i'm looking into a net i don't have a projector and the tv's behind me so i can't just like visualize it anyway we're probably boring people to death with this but uh maybe we can get like an online league going for the sweet spot listeners eventually that that could be fun so we've had a a run of guests on the show recently so we're going to take a little breather here and just do an episode with you and me What are we talking about today? Am I queuing this up? Well, a a few weeks ago, I think
1: we did a podcast and we kind of teased that we would talk about this, but we'd probably make a full episode. So that's what we're doing now. So we got a, a letter. Uh, <laughs> it's not a letter. What do you call
0: <laughs> it? didn't arrive by carrier pigeon or uh, <laughs> a little tweet message or a think, from,
1: from a fan of the of the show. And they mentioned something and John forwarded it to me. And I thought it'd be a good topic to talk about because I know that many people kind of think this way, but who listen to us, perhaps if there's a... Detraction from what we say—it might be this topic. So um, yeah, I thought we we talk about it and give counter arguments, perhaps.
0: Yeah, I think it's almost like maybe it's a chicken or the egg argument, but you know the, the the basics of the statement. And I think you've gotten this a lot over the years from people who've come across like your teaching philosophy online. Is yeah, you know, the person said to me that it's an impossible ask for regular golfers to control their impact position, and the opposite to that he said that you know you should be working with an instructor to learn and practice proper mechanics come first and then those positions automatically happen so I think it gets to you know are you hitting various checkpoints in your swing making it look a certain way and then everything is solved and you're a great ball striker versus kind of we talk a lot about impact fundamentals and we really don't talk about you know swing plane and wrist angles and you know as as your shaft crossing the line at the top of your swing we don't talk about stuff like that and you know I'm not saying we're 100% right it's just a different way of thinking and i think the industry has kind of led people to those those swing checkpoints i'm saying i'm 100% right <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i mean listen <laughs> we could go that route you know either way we're just trying to present i think a I don't know if unpopular is the right word, but an opposing different different. viewpoint. Yeah, and and the reason
1: reason why I say I'm 100% right is not to be arrogant. It's because I'm not discriminating against these different philosophies. So you have the swing first or the swing philosophy, you know, where this guy is saying, you should work on your mechanics, work on all these checkpoints, as you said, and the impact will come for free. Then you have the impact first philosophy, Uh, And then you have skill-based philosophy as well. So they're all tied in together. So the reason why I can say I'm right on this is because I use all of them. I don't discriminate necessarily. I'm probably more focused on the skill-based stuff and the impact-first-based stuff. But I use swing mechanics as well. I just see a nice blend of it. I think too many people focus too much on the swing first approach, almost to the to exclusion of the impact approach. And I know that from experience, from from speaking to many players, and from myself as well. I mean. I would say that when I first started learning golf, I thought like, I don't know his name, uh, so I'm just going to call him this guy. Is there a better way of saying that? <laughs> the, the gentleman, I'll say. So I, I would say I thought like him at first when learning. But you know, no one taught me impact, so I learned a lot of swing stuff. I was deep into Faldo books, um, better books, I had Tiger's book, and I was looking at positions. The thing is, impact didn't come for free for me. In fact, it was one of the reasons I quit golf was because golf was kind of a mystery because, you know, I would be hooking the ball and it would say, oh, do this, you know, weaken your grip, do this. And they were all logical things mechanically, but it never had the effect. You know, I'd weaken the grip, for example. I'd hook it even more offline or I'd swing more to the left (laughs) instead of into out and I pull hook it. And so, It was just really frustrating. Oh, I I remember a time where I had a toe-biased pattern, and I went and saw three different instructors to try and fix it, and they all gave me different mechanical things. And looking back on it now, they were all logical things, but it never fixed my toe pattern. And the reason why this can be the case is because for any impact issue that you have, there can be multiple causes to that, and they can be so small, so, a fat shot is a great example of this. So, give me a couple of reasons why you might fat it, John.
0: I mean, are we talking about the actual part of the golf swing or, yeah. or the actual impact? Same, okay. Say
1: mechanically, why, why you might fat yeah, it. Yeah,
0: mechanically, like let's say uh, your angle of attack is just way too steep and and your low point is too far behind the ball.
1: Okay, yeah. Those I, don't
0: are... know, I mean, I don't know you know, what would cause that in the golf swing is maybe someone told the golfer to hit down on and they're just jamming their hands into the ground and the club's following. Okay,
1: so, all right, I get it. So you said angle of attack, I think you meant arc depth. So how deep you're going in plus low point position. So those are the two variables geometrically. So yeah, if the low point of your swing if you think of the swing guys as, as a circle, if the lowest.
0: Yeah, the hula hoop is behind. Right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. And that could be caused by things such as an early release. Your weight is not far enough forward. Your swing direction might be too far into out. So there are not too many things that relate to low point position. But then when you go into the second part, arc depth. So that's whether you're brushing the tops of the grass or digging in deeper. There are now maybe, I could probably list off 30 different variables. You know, if your, if your knees flex just a tiny bit, if your arm straightens or flexes a tiny bit, if your shoulder retracts or protracts in its socket, if any one of the vertebra <laughs> flex or extend, there's so many variables on this. And the worst part of that is, If you get one of those just an eighth of an inch wrong, an eighth of an inch too deep, just one of those variables, you may hit a fat or thin shot. And so if you imagine the situation where you're trying to fix a fat shot purely through mechanics, right? What happens is you end up, you say, oh, well, I'm fatting it because my knee flexed a little too much on that last one. Okay, let's focus on knee flex. And then you make another swing, you get the knee flex right, but another degree of freedom changes. So your arm flex changes on this one. And now you go, oh, my arm flex changed and my knee flex stayed the same. So I got to control my arm flex now. And all of a sudden you start to open up this can of worms where you run to fix one variable and two others get worse. And you run to fix those two, and then two more get worse. And all of a sudden your brain is just disoriented because you've got a million and one swing thoughts going on. And I mean, this has been shown in the motor learning science as well. When we focus internally, it starts to disrupt the synergy between the movement variables. So thinking about this mechanically or trying to fix impact faults purely mechanically can open up a can of worms for many people. And even if you've got your swing to look exactly the same on camera or exactly how you want, you may still hit an absolutely horrible shot. And why? Because impact is so, the difference between a good shot and a bad shot is so minute. It could be one or two degrees of face open or closed. It could be an eighth of an inch drop in arc depth. Silly things like that can make a huge difference to the outcome. And so the way around this complex problem is actually simplifying it a lot and to get the brain to focus on impact. And when your brain focuses on one goal like this, a global goal, we call it in motor learning, it organizes all the variables together. They start to the work together. So all those influences I talked about on fat contacts, they all start to work together instead of get worse. (laughs) So how do you focus on impact? Well, a divot board would be a great example for ground contact. So just giving someone the task of hit this yellow spot first, they will start to work, their body will start to work together. All of those moving parts will start to work in unity towards that global goal. This has been, again, proven in motor learning science. There's an interesting DART study, where players were asked to throw darts and they were asked to focus either on the end goal, the global goal of get the dart where you want it to, or they were asked to focus on the arm movements. And it's a really interesting study because the outcome baffles people. It's obvious that when they focused on the outcome, they improved the outcome, right? That's what you would say would be logical. However, the illogical part is when they focused on the arm movement, they got worse. But the arm movement became more consistent. Isn't that weird? People think consistent movements equal consistent outcomes, and they don't.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've always listen. I've been down rabbit holes myself, where you know I do or are used to do a lot of the things. Like I get a lot of messages from golfers, and people do ask me. D- despite me not being a, a swing instructor, I'll get a lot of technical questions on the swing. Like someone messaged me the other day, and they said, "Oh, you know, my shaft is across the line at the top of my swing. You know, should I fix that to make it look better?" And my response was, "Well, so is mine. I manage it okay. I'm, I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, you got Matt Wolf, you say,
1: you've got yeah, Calvin J- I mean, Pete. John,
0: John Daly, Phil Mickelson. They're all. I'm mean, not not that I'm in in their league, but." Yeah, there's always like a thought amongst golfers is like, how can I make it look nicer and prettier? And I think, just get back to the original point, that will make me hit the ball better, which would indicate you are satisfying impact fundamentals correctly. And my response to this person was, well, it's only a problem if it's a problem, if that makes sense. Can you work backwards from something that's going wrong in your ball flight and say like, "Oh, that is the reason you're doing it." I don't know the answer to that question. That's a bit rhetorical. But you have a lot of golfers out there who are looking to satisfy what might look better, but what is it really achieving on the golf course? Are you hitting more functional shots? If the answer is yes, then by by all means, go for it, continue on that path. But I think a lot of golfers are kind of frustrated moving from week to week, changing how something looks. Like for a long time, I was obsessed with shortening my backswing. I don't know why. For whatever reason, I got it in my head that my backswing was too long and I needed to shorten it, particularly with my driver. It never worked. Yeah, me too. Probably spent, a, probably spent a year doing that because I just assumed, well, I used to think like, well, if my backswing isn't as long, well, then less it gives less time for something bad to occur. So I'm just going to shorten shorten the backswing, and less could go wrong. And that you know, it just it didn't work.
1: Yeah, I spent about three years of my of my junior career trying to shorten my backswing. It was probably the worst the worst thing I could have done because it, it cut down any limited distance I had. I've never been a powerful player or long hitter, and that just made me shorter. But I wanted to do it because I mean, I I looked at Tiger and Tiger was nice and short and controlled and compact with the swing. But for me, it didn't improve my accuracy and it just cut down distance and hurt my chances of being a pro. And you could use the argument that shorter, uh, you know, less moving parts, fewer moving parts equals more consistency. But that's not always true. You could actually use the counter argument of a longer swing gives you more time to correct any out of position uh, elements. And that that there's a physics based, reason for that as well with how things line up with forces so there could be two ways for that the, the way that you'd understand it is through testing right I might go with a player on the GC quad and I get them to hit ten shots with a shorter swing ten shots with a medium swing ten shots with a longer swing and we look at the outcomes and if we see the longer swing was hit it farther and didn't have that much difference in dispersion then we're gonna we're gonna go with that but I was just going to say, does the swing change relate to the impact variable is what I have written down here. So you mentioned a, a player who says, well, should I change the swing to look pretty? And there's two different arguments against the mechanical side. And um, one of them is that a lot of it is just purely for aesthetics. All right. So, oh, should I get across the line or laid off for lots of people? Or let's just say the takeaway position. Oh, my takeaway slightly inside. My takeaway slightly outside. Should I change it? It's like, why? You've got to, you absolutely have to relate a swing change to an impact change. Because that's the only way you're going to change your outcome. If you're not relating the swing change to an impact change, it's not worth doing unless it's an injury prevention
0: thing. Which creates kind of a difficult conundrum because most golfers are going at it alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I think every survey that always goes out that I've seen, I think only maybe at most 10 to 20% of golfers are are taking lessons. So they're kind of drifting around in this mechanical universe being like, oh, they watch a YouTube video. That move looks good. Let's try that. It never, not that I know everything. I'm not some perfect golfer, but for whatever reason, I've always been the person to look at my ball and try and work backwards. I talk about that a lot. And like you said, I like, for example, I've settled on a very strong grip on my golf swing. How did I get to that? Like you said, I kind of messed around on the range at one point. I was experimenting with a weak, neutral and strong grip and looked how it changed my ball flight. And I'm like, wow, this stronger grip, I'm accessing the center of the face more. I'm hitting it more solid. I'm hitting this nice controlled draw. I just feel more powerful. It feels better for me. And I I guess I kind of stumbled onto a good matchup for my swing, but I was kind of verifying it through ball ball flight. I wasn't just making the change for the sake of it to make my swing look. I wasn't videoing my swing or anything. That's how I've kind of stumbled a lot uh, into a lot of things in my swing is, is that I make small changes here and there. I look at my ball flight. I'm like, is this making it better for me? Is this improving my contact? Is this improving my ball flight in terms of its trajectory and curvature and how far it's going? And if the answer to that is yes, I kind of stick with that for a while and see if I can bring it out onto the course. That's kind of been my own, I'm not completely self-taught, but I'm probably 90% self-taught that's kind of the way I've gone, gone about it over the years.
1: You need to know how a swing change is going to affect the impact variable to affect the outcome. So you know if your face is closing down too much and you hit it too far left, you know swing changes that relate to that. So they're, these are functional swing changes. They're not just for aesthetics, right? It might be changing something in your grip. It might be changing something at address. Hey, if I'm having a bad day with club face direction, if I'm hitting left, left, left all day, I'll open the face at address and grip it. It's it's like my cheat code.
0: Yeah, no, that's honestly no one ever told me to do that. I just thought of, I guess, I don't know everything, but like, that just seemed to be like, oh, the ball's going left. I must open up the face. And then as I've learned, you know, after the fact, learning more about ball flight laws and stuff like that, like, oh, this makes total sense. Like I was kind of seeing this as I went along. And now that I have the knowledge, it makes it more, it gives me more confidence in, in what I'm trying to adjust when I practice or when I'm noticing things on the golf course. But again, I was never, you know, in the last eight to 10 years, I haven't really looked at my golf swing or thought about those mechanics. So, when people talk to me about that stuff, like across the line or the takeaway and all that stuff, I'm like, I'm like, I first of all, I just don't know the answer because I'm not a swing instructor. And secondly, it's like, is that going to lead to the better ball flight for you? Or are you just trying to make it look better when you video yourself?
1: Well, this is it. And this is where you need an instructor or You need to have the knowledge at least of if I'm going to try to influence an impact thing. So if I'm going to try and influence club face or face strike or ground contact, what mechanics actually relate to that rather than people just working towards a model looking swing? and hoping that things will come together because they don't that way. And this is why you see the other side of the spectrum, you see plenty of non-model looking swings on the tour functioning very well because there are, there are different ways of achieving these impact positions. So, I mean, that's a point in itself is like the question was posed or the, the statement was said that I would argue that working with a good instructor to learn and practice proper mechanics comes first and it's like well well which proper mechanics dustin johnson's setup dustin johnson's grip and wrist positions or matt wolf's or webb simpson or the, all these guys look different With certain things, certain variables, you know, their grips are different. Bryson's grip is very, very weak. Dustin Johnson's grip is very, very strong. They're both excellent drivers of the ball. So which one is the right? We can't even say fundamentals with these things. The grip is not a fundamental. The grip is something that can be changed. The grip is more of a tool in my philosophy. And then that lends itself into going into talking about matchups. You know, well, how do these players all swing differently and still produce similar outcomes? It can get very complex where actually when you get all this complexity, it can boil itself down, back down to simplicity. And what I mean by that is if you ask me about the golf swing, I can talk for hours and hours and hours. But if you ask me, how do I get my face more open? I would say, well, do this, this, or this. And I've got a library of swing changes for every impact variable. If someone wants to hit it less fat, I'd say, do this, this, or this. If someone wants to hit it less off the toe, do this, this, or this. And so I've got these different variables. And there's not necessarily one right one. In fact, in lessons with people, I'll say, well, I think this one will probably work better for you say variable X will work better for you, let's test it. Now let's test variable Y. Okay, variable Y worked better for you. It changed the impact better. We'll go with that. So there's, in my philosophy, there's not necessarily one correct way to go towards. There are lots of options to change these impact variables. And so that hates people who are, what is it, type A, who think that, no, you have to swing everything absolutely like the model. You can't go out and, and swing like Jim Furick. <laughs> but then the tour completely denounces their theories then because the tour is full of bags of different matchups.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of, I played recently in a tournament. It was the New York State Mid-Am and I got paired with one of the best amateur players in the New York Metro region. Great player. His name is on every leaderboard. I never played with him before, so I was interested to. I'd never seen him swing, and you know, I was kind of saw him on the range, and I was looking at him I'm like, you know, he's like me, small guy, very unassuming looking, and had a very, I guess, unorthodox, strange, whatever you want to call it. I'm sure people look at when I swing and they see a few strange things, but you know, he kind of made a strange move around impact. And when I played with him, nothing stood out to me in terms of he didn't hit it very far. The swing wasn't necessarily pretty looking, but he got the job done and obviously did it all the time. And I was just kind of asking him about, I just assumed he was a lifelong golfer. He was in his early forties. As to how long he'd been playing, he's like, well, I didn't take up the game until after college. I was like, really? Uh, I was like, how'd that happen? He's like, well, I I was a collegiate tennis player. I'm like, okay, now it makes sense. Very good athlete, kind of figured it out on his own, took up golf later in life and just managed his swing around the course keeps the ball in play, hit a lot of greens, great putter. And I'm always interested when I see golfers like that because like you said, I think when you look at recreational players, you see far more unorthodox moves than you certainly would see on the tour. You know, off-plane doing weirder things. Like Jim Furyk is not normal on the tour obviously. There's a lot of cookie-cutter looking golf swings on the PGA Tour despite being, you know, some outliers. But I often see recreational players, they have tons of not textbook unorthodox moves. They're just not functional and the matchups aren't good. So you know, I think they're led to believe if I make my swing look prettier, good things will follow. And I think you and me are talking about the things that you necessarily can't see. We mentioned this in the Andrew Rice episode, skill is what you can't see. It's something that is, you can't put your finger on it but it's there. And this golfer I played with, like, yes, you know, you look at his swing, put it on a video. Maybe someone couldn't tell you what his handicap was, that he was probably a plus three or a plus four. But you go on the golf course with him and you're like, okay, this guy's got crazy skill. He can get it done. You
1: can't see skill, but you can test for it. And you can give a player a rating on how skilled they are for certain things. And you can improve skill. Directly. So, you know, if I was to test someone uh, how skilled they were at, say, face control, you could obviously ask them to just hit a bunch of shots and you could say, oh, well, that person has good outcomes. But I would take it a step further and I would say, using my GC quad, I would say, can you present the face one degree more open? and then they'd hit a few shots. Then I'd say, can you present it four degrees open? They'd hit a few shots. And I could see how close are they getting to that. If I ask them to hit four degrees open and they go to 10 degrees open, I'd say that's not a very skilled player. Whereas if I ask them to go four degrees open and they present it exactly four degrees open, I'd say that's a very skilled player, especially if they can repeat it. And so these things can actually be developed and refined further. So skill in, in club face control I would define as an ability to change and control the variable, so it 's not just happening on autopilot because you have unconscious skills, but you ha- also have conscious skills. Now, why would it be important for a player to be able to consciously control or change the club face well you 're going to have bad days on the golf course. It's inevitable. It doesn't matter how good you are, how much you practice, how many years you've put in, you are going to step on that golf course and probably 80%, 70, 80% of the time is going to be not a good day. (laughs) That's just the nature of the game. Even the best in the world only have good days and weeks, maybe 30%, 20% of the year. So on those bad days, you need to be able to change those patterns that are occurring. If you're having a fat contact, you need to be able to change it. If you are shanking it on the course, you need to be able to change it. And if your ball is going left or right, you need to be able to change it. And having these skills allows you to do that.
0: And I think that's probably why we're saying like, if someone was focusing on like, and I'm sorry to (laughs) the people who sent these messages, we're absolutely not trying to pick on you. We really appreciate all feedback. It helps us create episodes like this. And again, you know, share our philosophy slash opinions. But, you know, thinking back to like the someone saying like, well, my shaft didn't look pretty at the top of my golf swing or my takeaway was ugly. I don't think that cue or that thought helps you solve those problems, those variations that occur on the golf courses, like you said, if you're shanking it, how does your what your shaft is doing at the top of your swing or thinking about that going to solve that for you? That's a tough in my opinion that that's a tough focus to have in order to you know make a change when necessary because you know the great players. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking back to the Dylan Fratelli thing when he was saying, you know, he doesn't make any many adjustments because he doesn't need to. He's an epic ball striker, and his skill is off the charts. Twenty handicap Joe golfer, yeah, they're showing up one day slicing the heck out of the ball. They need to figure out either how to neutralize that swing path or get the face pointed a little bit left so that thing can start further left and have a functional uh, ball flight. That's what I think about is like what's going on, work backward, can you adjust, and positions and stuff like that. That doesn't do it for me. Maybe it would for some golfers, but I'm thinking about the majority of players. And I think that that's a more difficult problem to solve with mechanics on the course.
1: Yeah, um, well – Again, there's not a right or wrong approach here. It's not. There's no one saying no, that no. technique changes are not necessarily good, and it has to be all concept and skill. I use a blend of them. So in your example of the slicer, someone slicing it 50 yards to the right, we know the face is too open to the path, and the path is very likely left as well. But let's just go with the face is too open to the path. If we can close the face enough, we can turn that slice into at least a powerful fade. You know, If we close it enough, it'll turn into a powerful fade and then be onto the target, which will be delightful for that person. And so how do we close the face? You could go the mechanical route, and I may do. If there's something obvious there, such as an incredibly weak grip, then we may go and change that grip. But I would also supplement this greatly with some skill-based practice. And what I mean by that is I would have this player on the range and I would say, make some swings where you intentionally present that face more closed. And so, you know, the other part of that message that we had, let's have a look. Control impact position is an impossible task. So this person thinks that controlling impact Directly is impossible. It's not. It absolutely isn't impossible. It's possible. I do it every single day with every single person I have on the lesson team. So, you know, I even train beginners to be able to control impact. So I could ask a beginner, can you present the face left? Can you present the face right? And they can do it. And you know what? If they can't do it, we make the task simpler. So this goes into motor learning theory again. You simplify the task down. So what could be simpler? I would ask them to maybe do it with a chipping swing if they can't do it with a full swing. If they can't do it with a chipping swing, I'll ask them to do it with a putting swing. So here's a tee in front of you. Here's a putter. I tell them the face controls the direction. Now present it left. And they do. Now present it right. And they do and so eve i 've never had a player who can 't do that similarly, if I want them to hit it more off the toe or the heel, I might start with putting swings, hit it off this side of the club, hit it off that side of the club, and again if they can't if they can 't hit the toe with a putter with a very small swing, a six inch swing. I'll ask him to do a simpler task. I'll say, miss the ball completely to the inside. So brush the ground closer to your feet. And again, everybody can do this. I'm yet to come across someone who doesn't have this. So we would just say that player is low skilled at this moment in time. They need to improve their skill on that. But so what do we do then? Well, once they reach, say, a seven out of 10 success rate, so they can hit that putt left seven out of 10 times, we'll add on another layer of difficulty. We may progress up in swing size, so do it with a chip shot, or I may add more layers in terms of directionally. I'll I'll say hit a big left and then a small left. So you're starting to develop this skill now. You're not only asking them to hit different directions, but you're asking them to do it in precise amounts. And what I've found over and over again, and I've tested this with different groups, I found the ones who do this skill-based practice, the ones who add it, they have better awareness of what's gone on when they're hitting shots. So that player who hits it left They now I ask them what happened and they look at me and they go, well, the club face was too far left. And I go, yes, well done. (laughs) So they've got good awareness. So this allows them then to self correct better and self coach. Not only that, but their control improves. So that player who's just hit it left because they've explored hitting it to the right in their skill development practice, they now have the ability to change it. They have the ability to correct it. And I would take that even further, they have the ability to correct it precisely So you can imagine some of the players that I've trained, I can ask them to present the face one degree open and they can do it with relative accuracy. So those players are never going to struggle with a pattern on the golf course if they're hitting it left one day. That's laughing. There'd be a laughing joke for that to happen because they can control the face incrementally by one degree. So why would they ever suffer with a bad pattern? whereas you see plenty of players on the golf course and i'm sure you've played with many who's suffering with a bad pattern and they either a don't know what's causing it you know they they hit something 6 inches behind it and they go oh my swing was too fast <laughs> right they, they're not related they're not related things so that player is going to struggle because they even if they are doing the mechanical approach they're not picking the right mechanical things or b that player They just can't fix it. They don't have the ability, they don't have the skill to be able to change it because they haven't practiced these things. Is all this making sense? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, as you're saying all this, obviously, internally, I'm agreeing with you and thinking about, you know, how my philosophy has changed from a, you know, 12 year old golfer who first took up the game, somewhere along the way, got disillusioned with mechanics and stuff and went down that rabbit hole to kind of where I am now. And, you know, whenever I write an article on practical golf or I'm coming up with ideas for this show or even, you know, I'm I'm writing a book now, I'm mostly thinking about most of the golfers, that 90% number of, you know, the players who are going at it alone. I hear from them all the time. You know, I'd love for a lot of players to find a great instructor and get more targeted advice hopefully some of it will be this skill development stuff that we're talking about but let's face it most golfers are kind of going at it alone they're browsing youtube and instagram and trying one thing one week and one thing the next week all related to the golf swing i think not everyone but most players would have a better chance of scoring lower and striking the ball better and increasing their skill in this game. If they did more of the practice or introduce some of it that we're talking about, has anyone ever thought about rather than firing, you know, 57 irons at the same target, can you intentionally try and hit that seven iron 30 yards to the right and then 30 yards to the left and then straight? Or, you know, if you're struggling with slicing it, maybe trying to hit a big hook Or look, even just identifying where you're striking the ball in the golf face. Most people never think about that. And it's just an absolute fundamental and doors open up when you keep track of it, realize your tendencies, and then consciously try and strike different parts of the face. The reason we keep saying these things over and over and over again on a lot of our episodes is because... I think these are the things that most golfers have never tried and I think a lot of the good players have intuitively figured it out whether they you know were consciously trying it or unconsciously like I think these are this is the toolbox that I currently bring out on the golf course and I'm playing my best golf with. It's not to say that again I don't want to you know, go nuts on the mechanical swing thoughts. They do have their place, as you said, if they're fixing a specific flaw in your ball flight and you're tracing it back to what part of the swing is, is preventing more functional ball flight from occurring. Not talking against that, but I just know that most players don't know enough about the golf swing. So I'm saying to them, at least go down this route where you are trying completely different practice methods and being more of an athlete and accessing like that problem-solving part of your brain and the self-organization of your body to complete the task rather than just like doing the YouTube, Instagram, like experimenting with, you know, different swing planes and grips and all that stuff. Like maybe try that that route a bit and see what occurs. And often I hear back from so many people over the years is like, wow, I'm, I'm getting better doing that. And some don't, you know, it's not a 100% fixed, but I, I think it's giving most players a better chance.
1: You know what, when I did my eight week course, so I had 150 people in my eight week course recently. And each week I talked about an impact variable. So, you know, week one would be things like ground contact. Week two would be face contact. Week three would be face direction. And for each week, I gave people, here are the mechanical causes for why that might be the case. So if you're hitting a fat shot, it might be your weight is on your back foot. So here's a drill to fix that. It might be an early release. So here's a drill to fix that. And I went a little deeper than that. But, and then I also did skill-based games. So most of my people had a divot board. If they didn't, I give them an alternative of a bunker drill. And the skill-based game was something like, you know, hitting three inches in front, then two inches in front, then one inch in front, then zero. And do you know what? After the end of the week or even midway through the course, people were saying, Adam, I love the mechanical stuff. I was actually here for the mechanical stuff because I'm mechanically minded. But this skill-based stuff is working so well, I don't even need the mechanical stuff. And I hear that all the time. I see it all the time on my lesson team. So it's not that mechanics are bad. No one is saying that. No one is anti-mechanics here. I'm as a mechanical instructor as you can get in terms of my knowledge. But when I'm talking about what works best for players, I have personally found and all my players have found that this skill-based stuff is so much more powerful. And these are players who have been through the lessons with other instructors going through mechanical stuff over and over again. And the reality is that most golfers who are playing, right, anybody who is like a 20 handicap or below, they can hit functional shots. And in order to turn that shot they are hitting into a much better shot requires tiny tiny changes. So for example, that player who's off a 20 handicap, who averages hitting an inch behind it or two inches behind it, we're talking about to turn them into tour pro strike, we got to get two inches difference. I mean, it may not even be that. It may be an arc depth change of half a of quarter of an inch, something like that. Or the player who has that big slice, you know, a, a Path that's three degrees left and a face that's square at impact and they're hitting a big curve to the right. We're talking about a three degree change there can completely neutralize that. Or the player who's completely hitting off the shank all the time, you can change that by quarter of an inch and they'll never shank it again. Change it by half an inch and they're flushing every shot. And these are the types of things where these players, you know, whenever you've had your best day of golf, I bet your swing has looked exactly the same. The reason why you've had the best day of golf is these small things that I've taught, I'm talking about have changed. And so skill development is all about taking control of these small things, learning how to identify them better, learning how to change them directly, learning how to change them precisely. And when you have those skills, you will play your best golf more often.
0: Let's take a quick break there and we will be right back. When you're hiring for your small business like I have to, you wanna find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And you can always support us by checking them out at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just another job board. It is a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. I know a ton of people who are using it for multiple reasons, and LinkedIn has absolutely exploded over the last few years. There's wonderful content on business ideas, but more importantly, it gives you access to professionals that you can't find anywhere else. Anyone who runs a small business knows that hiring is easy when you can get that quality candidate. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate from LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. LinkedIn knows that people like me and other small businesses like Adam or maybe you are wearing so many hats and you might not have the time or resources to hire. It's not like all of us can have our own HR department. That's why there are over 2.5 million small businesses using LinkedIn for hiring. If you wanna give it a shot and post your job for free, go to linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back. So I think, you know, getting back to what you're saying, what if someone's listening to this and like, well, that sounds great, but it sounds like kind of, you know, it's not specific enough for me. Like, that all sounds great. Like, I don't want to, maybe I want to stop videoing my swing. I want to stop hitting all these positions like... Everyone's always like well, what do I do? Is it the games? Is it the impact stuff? The face control stuff? Like I don't want to inundate people with too many things and like, you know, we kind of come back to this a lot in various episodes, but I always want to give people like more tangible information like when someone comes to you with those questions like what do you say to them?
1: Well, what is more specific than impact? Right. And how yeah, that I, relates to the outcome. The outcome is caused by impact. The outcome is not caused by the swing. The swing is an influence to the outcome. The swing is an influence to impact. But impact directly, 100% causes everything that you see in the outcome. So, what outcome issues can we have? The ball could fly too long or too short. Well, that's going to be related to an impact thing. The ball could fly left or right. That's going to be related to an impact thing. Those are the only two outcomes and those are the influences on it. So, if the ball flies left or right, what are the influences on that impact, John? Or what are the causes, I should say, not influences?
0: Well, left or right, I mean, face control mostly, or you know, let's say, I mean, we don't want to Go back to gear effect because that confuses some things. But yeah, if I'm directionally missing greens too much, I'm looking at face control issues first and potentially swing path issues second.
1: You've got it. The only influences on left and right direction are, what was the face direction? What was the path? And where did you strike it on the face potentially? So with gear effect. So in fact, we can reduce or eliminate that gear effect one with irons, because there is no gear effect with irons, or very minimal. So with an iron shot, if you're hitting it offline, it's going to be face or path. And in fact, you could boil that down simpler and say, all else being equal, controlling the face is going to produce a better outcome. So you can get really simple and very, very specific with this person. If that person has a left, left, left pattern, okay, we need to change the face. Could you go down the route of changing the path as well? Yeah, potentially, if it's an issue. You don't have to, though. I'd only do that in cases where it's wild. But yeah, those are the, that's how specific it can be. And then from there, you could say, all right, could we produce, could we do a mechanical change or could we go the skill development route? Or my favorite, could we do a combination of both? Could we do some mechanics, yeah, I and mean, some skill development?
0: And I would say, like thinking in the scope of a player who is, let's say, not working with you or, or someone like you, I would say their only option is going that skill experimentation route, like what you said. Starting off with like a wedge, for example, can you feel what it's like to hit a 56 degree wedge with a chip shot, right, center, left, quarter swing, half swing, full swing, and then maybe work your way up? I think if someone spent like 30 minutes doing that, like let's say you're listening to this show and you're getting a a fairly good understanding of impact fundamentals, hopefully we're presenting them to you quite simply because I don't think they're that complicated. And you're saying to yourself, well, geez, I'm missing everything to the right. Well, then you know that you've got it for a right-handed player. You need to figure out a way to close that face down a bit. So I just think, yeah, and these are things that I've messed around with on the range myself is like, can you take a half hour, three times a week going through your bag and trying to move the ball directionally left and right? Consciously thinking about where that club face is at impact because I've had conversations with people about that, decent players, and they're like, I have never, ever in my life thought about club face orientation where it's pointed.
1: Mm -hmm. And I've got decent players who who go through the skill development stuff in this and find out they're actually unconsciously very good at it. Because these skills, if you beat enough balls, you will learn them unconsciously.
0: You're going to figure them out. And I think, you know, I'm a perfect example of something like that where I just think flash the face open more, close it more. Like just that was a lot of my – those are still a lot of my conscious swing thoughts. I had a day recently where I've avoided the – pull hooks with my driver pretty much all season but it showed up the other day and I had to figure out a way to get that face open and I didn't do it completely but I I fixed probably four or five tee shots that were not a pull hook. I just had a very difficult pattern that day and I was just mostly thinking about my club face orientation. But again, you, you can beat. But sometimes that doesn't work. I guess, you know, to play devil's advocate, like, what if that doesn't work? Like, what do you mean? You know, then what? What do you mean? People ask, we're like, well, I'm thinking about striking it, you know, closing my face more and it's not working. Or I'm thinking about striking it towards the toe and it's not working. Now, what do I do,
1: Adam? This is the, well, This is where you need to ramp up the differential practice. So, I was going to say that we... You probably get a lot of these skills by beating thousands and thousands of balls, but you can greatly speed up the process by adding some differential practice. And I'm not talking about all of your practice being hitting left and right. I'm not talking about learning how to shape the shot necessarily, just, you know, getting the ball to finish in a different direction. And it can be, a you know, maybe 10% of your practice is enough to, to gain these skills. If it doesn't work, then that player is just not highly skilled enough yet. So we would go to a simpler task. So again, if that player is trying to get that face more close and they can't, we'd go to a simpler task. Well, let's do it with a chipping swing first and build up. Uh, This is my lesson protocol, basically. If someone can't do a task I'm asking, I make the task simpler and then we build it back up. And every time we make it simpler and build it back up, that player automatically then unlocks that ability you can look at mechanical changes for example if a player is trying to get the face closed and they have the weakest grip on earth
0: yeah you can just i mean someone would step in and being like hey i think we've got the fix here let's just strengthen the grip more and that potentially could solve it that's that going to help
1: you yeah but i've had times where i've strengthened the grip for players and they they intuitively try to return the club face back to the old position because we're, yeah. we're very, very intuitive we're where we feel the face direction and face orientation, uh, face, you know, sweet spot strike, things like that. So there are many times, I mean, this is a very common thing that, and here's the simplest analogy for this. If you ask a 100 golfers to get closer to the ball at a dress, you would hypothesize that they're all going to hit it more from the heel. But what happens is you'll find a third of people hit it from the heel, a third of people don't even change, and a third of people actually hit it more from the toe. So why would that be the case? Because for some people, if you ask them to get closer to it, they sense that they're too close to it and they end up backing up out of it. They, they try and, oh, I've got to get away from it. And they end up hitting more out of the toe. So sometimes mechanical changes don't work how we would imagine them. And I'm sure plenty of people listening there are saying, oh, yeah, I've experienced that before. They don't work because our brains are locked into a certain way of presenting the club. And so how to change that, well, through skill development, we learn how to directly present the club differently through those skill drills that we just talked about. If someone can't present the face more left, yes, we might look for any obvious mechanical things that might hinder that person. But I'll be honest, the vast majority of golfers are perfectly capable of hitting it left and right with the mechanics they have. If they can hit a straight shot right now, if they can hit a straight shot right now, they can hit a left shot. Because we're talking about three degrees of change with the club face. So yeah, we just go to a simpler task until they can feel it. Then we add on layers to that task. So I might start with that player and I say, hit that ball 40 degrees left. (laughs) And they go, what? You want me to do something that ridiculous? I say, just entertain me. And they do it first time. And say, all right, now 30 degrees left, now 10 degrees left, now 5 degrees left. And they can do it every time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've the opposite thing keeps coming up, but it can solve, neutralize is the word we always bring up. I think a lot of it, especially with curvature, like I can't tell you how many times me trying to hit the biggest slice I can ever think of helps me with my hook swing. Sometimes I've even done the, have you ever tried the drill where you're, this is hard to envision for someone trying to correct a two into out swing, your feet, you stand with your feet pointing at the target. So like your actual belt buckle hold, everything is pointing at the target and you're, it forces you to swing so out to in to hit this huge slice. And then you go back to swinging normally and it you know gives a totally different feel, which for me was less of into out. And then vice versa you can almost stand backwards uh, for someone who's slicing it's kind of an extreme drill but it kind of did wonders for me in some dark moments
1: yeah yeah any drill like that 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 gives a different feeling so i mean lots of people when they try these new things with impact they say oh well that feels weird you know also you know i say try and present the face closed and they do it and they go oh but that feels so weird to do that and i say well Well, yeah, a mechanical change would also feel weird. If I'd asked you to change your grip or God forbid, change your wrist angles at the top of the swing, that's gonna require a hell of a lot more conscious effort. It's probably gonna screw up a lot more variables and it's gonna feel weird as hell as well. But you know what, after time of doing these things, they start to feel more comfortable. So if you were to do big slices for a month, if all you were to do you personally, John, was to try and hit big slices for a month. When you went back to your non-thinking swing, it would be much more neutral. If not, a fade. Now, I don't recommend that for you because I think hitting a draw is absolutely fine and that's the way your eye sees the course. But I'm just using that as an example. If you were to hit slices for a month straight, eventually it would even feel automatic. You wouldn't feel like it's different to your normal swing. Well,
0: I think this is like kind of Potentially the crux of the comment that started all of this was that, you know, what we're talking about is for scratch level players. And then, you know, controlling the swing mechanics is for more beginner intermediate players. I think it's quite the opposite, to be honest, even for me. Like if someone told me. And you did this experiment with me like, hey, John, we want to make a a swing change for you. I want you to you know, get that face less closed at the top of your backswing. The shaft's too far across the line. Let's bow the wrist a little bit more and have you coming down more vertical plane than on the inside. I would fall to pieces. Honestly, I I don't. And I think I'm a pretty coordinated athletic person. That'd be really hard for me to do.
1: Yeah, I mean- Maybe
0: it's the way my brain works. I don't know. But if someone told me- like what you said, like, you know, your hammer, the nail drill, just hammer it 30 degrees to the left. That I can do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, I mean, if... But I'm thinking, like, in the context of what you're saying, like, I think those tasks, and this is the why you teach, the way you teach, and maybe the way I talk, the way I talk on Practical Golf is, like, I think those tasks are more digestible for beginner and intermediate players than telling them, I watch lessons a lot of times, and I don't want to disparage certain teachers I think they're doing a good job but I see it You know, they're giving a laundry list of uh, what's going wrong well I don't like where the clubs you know and yeah they use p1 p2 p3 like this position here and I want you up here and then hit that doing it that way and they're like well you know here's a video of it you went this way I want you to go that way I'm like I, I I don't know it doesn't maybe I'm a heretic but that it doesn't make as much sense to me than saying like can you Make the ball go over there, just try chipping it in that direction to the right can you hammer this can you hammer
1: this nail can you you know I used the analogy of the other day of dipping the club in paint and I said just imagine spraying the paint in this direction and all of a sudden they got more whip their kinematic sequence completely changed they got more lag, a better release they got a better path, better club face to path and it was just one an- analogy, one swing thought so
0: and I'm thinking about all of the I grew up playing many different sports before I got to golf and as anyone else can think back to their you know mostly team sports days you know when you play soccer or hockey sorry football if you're rest of non-american listeners or even american football the coaches don't pull you aside and say hey john i don't like where your your elbow here is going when you're throwing this you know, throwing the baseball or this. It's its all these different drills. Like, you know, fun thing like, all right, we're going to try and hit the ball to right field and left field. We're doing ground balls today. Like it, it's all of, I view other sports as more of this task type practice. And you're unlocking children's inner athlete where they're not sitting there obsessing about their mechanics as much maybe that's changed over the last 20 years. I haven't played a team sport. I know there's a lot more analytics and stuff like that involved. But that's what I remember, like playing basketball and all those sports growing up. It was like, see that, do it, and keep doing this drill until you get better at it. And there wasn't any mention of mechanics that much. It was almost secondary or tertiary. Yeah.
1: And and the thing with mechanics as well, if you go the mechanical approach on something, say something goes wrong, like you're hitting it Fat one day, and your instructor tells you, Well, okay, you're hitting it fat because you just, you know, your scapula retract uh, protracted a quarter of an inch or something like that. Say, say we could get down to that ridiculous of a level of accuracy. Well, you go out, you work on that. It takes time, you've got to put thousands of reps in to work on the scapula, and then next day you come and you're still hitting it fat. Why? Oh, well, your knees are doing something different this time, so then you have to go out, you have to focus on the knees, you have to work on that it's an endless laundry list and even when you get one variable correct or you work on one mechanic and you get it where you want it to there are going to be other things that pop up and open up so it's a never-ending cycle whereas when you focus on the impact variables it gives you far fewer variables to focus on and master you're never going to master the mechanics down to a level that will produce functional shots every t- uh, most of the time. That's not going to happen. But you can master the impact variables because the big three that we talk about, face contact, face direction, uh, ground strike, those are the big three. That really simplifies golf down. And if you can spend your time mastering those three, you will 100% get better at golf. And, you know, it doesn't matter what pops up on the day. If I'm hitting it left one day, I don't panic and go, oh, my God, is it my club fit? Is is it my um, wrist angles this time? Is it my grip? Is it my forearm supination? Is it my shaft pitch? I don't have to worry about that. I just have to go, all right, what did it feel like to present the face a couple of degrees more open? Okay, let's go with that feeling for the day. And that's going to hold with me for the rest of my life, those feelings. All I have to do is, you know, keep building those feelings over time. So, yeah, I think this this impact-focused stuff and the skill development stuff really simplifies things down for people. You can still go into mechanical stuff if you want to with that, but you don't have to.
0: Yeah, I, I think it would be a, I would prefer to be a secondary pursuit because this is one of those this stuff is like the the teach a man or, or woman to fish type thing. And that's one of the main things that what I know now versus what I didn't know 10, 20 years ago, and I think is coming to light. There's still a lot of golfers who don't understand, is like understanding why the golf ball does what it does. It's so it sounds simple now, but it took <laughs> decades and a lot of technology to figure it out. But now we can kind of explain it simply. Yeah, I think it gives people... I'm I'm all about giving people a better chance to get better at this game. I think that leads to more enjoyment. I think it makes you less, like you said, panicked when something goes wrong. If you understand like physically what's occurring to cause it at impact, I think it can make your practice more productive. If you're working on these things and understanding why they're occurring. And then, yeah, like you might run into a roadblock. There's plenty of people who can go down this route and they can hit a wall for whatever reason. And then, yeah, there might be some mechanical stuff that is like, you. you know, it could be as simple as, as the way you're gripping the golf club for a lot of people. Or it could be more complex where you're just having this something's going on in your downswing that is like you are you know I I see a lot of the golfers who are getting that club so far out in front of them and then they have to save it at impact like that is going to have to change like you're never going to hit a good golf shot with that throwing that club out in front of you or we talked about on the Andrew Rice episode if you have reverse shaft lean you're going to have to find a way to mechanically fix that now that could happen through you know, the skill-based stuff. I was
1: just going to say that. I yeah. know you. I know
0: that's where you're going to go. And <laughs> I would say that too is like if someone – if I saw someone like let's say I was teaching, which I'm not, um, but let's say I was and I saw someone with that reverse shaft lean, I would say, hey, here's a 60-degree wedge. Can you turn this – You know, can you hit this as low as you possibly can? And that would force them to shaft lean the shaft forward and de-loft the club. And then you work your way up. Like I'm on the same exact page as you, of course, on this stuff. I think that would lead to more positive changes mechanically in the swing than telling someone, oh, a lot of the things that people say when someone has reverse shaft lean. I know there's a lot of different things they would say to them.
1: Well, a very recent lesson that I, that I had, you know, he turns up and I say, How can I help you? You know, what are you working on? And he's like, Oh, well, I have all these different mechanical issues. I'm always on my back foot. I'm always releasing early, you know, I've got reverse shaft lean. So if I, if I manage to connect with the ball, I hit it really high. So all these different uh, problems that he was talking about. And, and he's like, I sequence my body really weird. He went into really specific things. And so we did a, a skill drill. So I got onto the divot board with him. And I said, I want you to hit in front of the spot. So start on the spot. You're going to set up on the spot, but swing back and hit in front of the spot. And the first time he tried, he couldn't do it. And then I said, hit further forwards. I said, try and hit the front of the board. Try and almost miss the board. And then he started to get it after a while. And I was videoing his swing as he's doing this. And when he got a few successful, I showed his swing on camera and he had forward shaft lean his weight was forwards and his body was sequencing differently you know he was he was pressuring the ground much better and he looked at me and he said i've been trying to do that for 15 years And I wasn't even thinking of it when I did it there. And I said, yep, I told you to think of the ground contact and you got those things for free. You got those mechanical things for free. So that is part of a concept of self-organization. So some people have heard me talk about this. It's when you gave a task to someone. And as a result of the task, the brain figures out how to move better to create that. And that's how we all learn naturally. When we're learning to pick up a glass of water, we don't think of the arm mechanics to do that. We think about picking up the glass of water. And when we first start as babies, we fail a lot. We make a lot of mistakes with the task of picking up the glass of water. But as we get better at the task, the mechanics come for free. And here's another advantage. When you learn in the way that I'm talking about, your mechanics are adaptable. All right, say you learned to pick up a glass of water through body commands, right? Bend, arm, 45 degrees, lift, shoulder. You know, if you learned it through a mechanical way like that, eventually you could probably do it. You could probably pick up the glass of water. However, if someone put that glass of water in a new position, <laughs> you need a new set of commands now. And uh, whereas if you learned to pick up the glass of water through this instinctive approach, through the task-based approach, and the mechanics came for free, If someone places that glass of water in a different position, higher, lower, more left or right, you can still do it because your brain encodes this task differently. And so it's similar in golf. You know, when we get on the golf course and the ball is above our feet, below our feet, in a tree, <laughs> in a bunker, you know, sometimes we have to adapt to these things. So, as I said, that's another side benefit of the skill based approach as opposed to the mechanical based approach. And we've all seen these pros in this weird position on the golf course, and you know they've probably never even been in that position before, right? They might be legs out of a bunker and they, they're inventing something on the spot and you know that this is just this is how they've learned golf they know the task their brains can figure out a solution for it whereas some amateurs who learn through mechanical approaches they they experience a new position and they're like i don't know how to do this because <laughs> they've learned through a mechanical approach only
0: yeah it's always funny i think i like to blame golf broadcasts for a lot of golfers problems but we've probably talked about this before but when they do the slow motion swing of a PGA Tour player and they're like, oh, well, that was a horrible tee shot. And then they go to the slow motion swing and it always looks exactly yeah. the same because their swings are remarkably, even uh, recreational players, they're, they're repeating their swings way more than people would assume. So, usually they're saying like, oh, you know, he was late or something. It's like, usually can't see it. And then they, you know, they spend 30 seconds and they go on to the next shot and people are just like, oh yeah, that was definitely it. I'm looking at it and I'm like, I think if you showed... 50 swings of that player striping it down the fairway and 50 where he sliced it right, no one could really pick up the difference. It'd be very hard to see. I watched
1: one where Tiger hit a bad shot and the analysis came up and they said, oh, Tiger dropped his head in transition. I'm like... Go back and look at every single swing he did in 2001 where he absolutely dominated. He dropped his head just as much in that. So it's not the cause. I I know it's a difficult job for the commentators on TV. They they get a swing and they have to say something.
0: Yeah, it's not their fault. I think it's the situation... They're being put in where people want, you know, golfers want this information. Like for whatever reason, this is how we've chosen to broadcast this sport versus other sports. Like no one's looking at Tom Brady's, you know, arm angles when he throws a football or, you know, What's going on with a baseball swing? Like it just doesn't happen. But golf is this way for better or worse, and and people want it, and they give it to them. Yeah,
1: that's it's interesting how it doesn't cross over to other sports as well. At least I I don't think it does. I don't know.
0: It really doesn't. I've never seen. I watch a lot. Or I, I used to watch a ton of sports, and it always like baffled me. I'm like, they don't really, you know, in the heat of battle. Like, in what other sport would they not show, like PJ tour broadcasts routinely? Do not show live action so they can show a slow motion replay and analyze someone's golf swing. Imagine watching, you know, I'm assuming you, you are or were a big soccer fan at some point. Imagine you were watching a Manchester United match and they pause the action. They stop showing the game so they can analyze the mechanics on a free kick.
1: That would be ridiculous, right? Well, I mean, sometimes if a ball goes out, they show a play, but they never analyze the mechanics of it. They, they're no, not they're not going to have someone, they're
0: and... going to yeah, they're not going to stop the broadcast and not show live action for that. But we do, you know, that happens in golf. Yeah. It's, and it's bizarre to me when you take a step backwards and look at the game. And when
1: that pro has hit a bad shot, you can guarantee it's such a micro change. You know, if a pro hits it fat, and I know it rarely happens, but if a pro hits it fat, it's an eighth of an inch drop in height. That's all it is. That's the geometry behind it. Or, you know, when McElroy hits a ball 30, 40, 50 yards left, and they do it. People think they don't, but they do it. That could be the face is just closed down three degrees or maybe hit a quarter of an inch out of the toe.
0: Yeah. The better example would be when, when they not, you know, at those swing speeds, like if someone's swinging, you know, 120, 125 miles an hour. And let's say they were a fade-based player and they struck it a little bit, like made the same exact swing, but you know, going back to other episodes where we discussed gear effect, you wouldn't be able to see this on camera on their swing. But let's say they they struck it a little bit off the heel. It turns into this massive slice at that swing speed where they missed it to the right of the fairway. That had nothing to do with you know the mechanics of the swing. He just... Missed it a little bit to the left on the face.
1: Yeah, nothing to do with the macro, the big look. You're not going to see it. Yeah, the big, the big look, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: I'm sure there's something miniature in there going on at Impact, well, obviously, because the, the club shifted over several millimeters.
1: Yeah, well, that's another important thing is separating out macro mechanics and micro mechanics. Macro mechanics are things like how much shoulder turn do they have? Did they have a squat in transition? What was their weight shift? What was their release like? Those are the big things you can see on camera. But as I said, with the pros, when they hit a bad shot, if they've dropped an eighth of an inch, if they've presented the face three degrees closed, or if they've hit a quarter of an inch off the heel, you're not gonna see that show up on the video. You're not going to see it show up on the macro mechanics. It's going to be something so small you'd have to look down at the bottom, right down at impact, to see it. Or you'd need a launch monitor to see it. And that's why I love launch monitors because they actually quantify this impact stuff for us. So it makes it a lot easier to identify and to even do skill development on them. You don't need a launch monitor to do skill development, but they do
0: heighten the experience. Because the conversation went so long, we decided we're going to cut it off here for episode one and we will continue it with episode two next week. Thanks again for everyone listening. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf. You can always find me at practical-golf.com and you can check out Adam's site at adamyounggolf.com. And a huge thanks to our sponsor, the Indoor Golf Shop. You can find them at Shop Indoor Golf. If you're in the market for a golf simulator, a launch monitor, any of the add-ons like hitting mats, practice nets, impact screens, give our friends at the Indoor Golf Shop a look. The technology might be a little confusing and intimidating, but you can give them a call and their team of experts will help you make a decision based on your budget and what you're looking for. So thanks again for their support and you can find them at Shop Indoor com, And we'll be back next week with part two of this discussion.